1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of fight back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Vladimir Putin's war against Ukraine took an ominous turn this past week, with more civilian targets and a growing number of Ukrainian civilian deaths. And then there is the daily increase in the number of women, children, and families losing their homes and fleeing the country. Men 18 to 60 are required to stay in case they are needed to fight. The early days of the attack on Ukraine have not gone as Putin expected, to say the least. The Russian dictator thought he would get a quick victory after easily overrunning the country. Instead, Russian forces have met with stiff resistance and almost universal condemnation around the world. In addition to tough sanctions against Russia— Putin and his henchmen and Russian oligarchs. Will all of this pushback make Putin more dangerous? He's already announced he's put his nuclear forces on alert. And how real is the nuclear threat? On Wednesday, Libby talked about all of these issues with a panel of experts. Dr. Roland Paris, a professor of international affairs and the director of the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. Dr. Lucan Wei, professor at the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto. And Dr. Charles Kupchan, senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations.
2: I think that uh, this shift in the Russian strategy is a response to the fact that the initial invasion did not go as smoothly and quickly as Putin and his officials, his military officials, expected. Uh, I think that Putin really believed what he said in his speeches, that is to say that this is a neo-Nazi regime in Ukraine. And behind every Ukrainian is a wannabe Russian. We'll send our troops in mm-hmm. and the Ukrainians will fold. Well, the opposite is happening. The Ukrainian military is putting up a great fight. The Ukrainian people are seething. And I'm unfortunately, my prediction is that Russia will turn up the heat, will go after civilian targets and that it is more likely than not that they are able to take over major cities in eastern Ukraine, including Kiev.
3: Doctor Lukin Wei, what do you think?
4: No, I mostly agree. I mean I think that um, they you know they Putin clearly, you know, does not understand Ukrainian politics and he really believed his own rhetoric that that the Ukrainian government was a puppet government which would you know just a little push and the whole thing would collapse. Um, and that has absolutely not happened at all. I mean, this is you know, not totally surprising to the rest of us, uh, but certainly it was to Putin. And um, and so basically, you know, Putin's in a position where he's feeling desperate. He's he's suffered enormous uh, sanctions. And what I worry about, I'm, I share concerns of, uh, of Dr. Kupchan that, you know, a desperate Russia is a very violent Russia. And so I think we're likely to see a lot of, um, you know, extreme levels of civilian casualties. You no, know, I I still think that you know there's a chance that, that Ukraine could hold out, uh, mainly because you know it's true that the Ukrainian army is much smaller than the Russian army. They they you know traditionally have spent about a tenth of what the Russian army has spent on, on military, and they're much less you know uh, experienced. I mean the Russians have been in 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 Syria and in Chechnya, and there's uh, many of them. Not all of them are battle hardened, but you know that. In in Ukraine, you have the entire population behind the government. People have begun referring to it as the 40 million army, which I think is really appropriate. Even sort of people who are disabled, you know, out there making Molotov cocktails and the like. So I think that, that, you know, it's going to be extremely horrific and bloody, but I think Ukraine still has a chance to sort of hold on to major cities.
3: Dr. Paris, what do you think?
5: I am just as concerned as your other two guests with uh, what lies ahead. Uh, you know, there, there's, clearly there's frustration on the part of Russia and their default uh, military strategy is one of brute force. And uh, now they, the numbers are clearly on Russia's side uh, and they can pour more numbers into this battle. On the other hand, the morale is on the Ukrainian side and the longer they can hold out, the more pressure there will be on Putin not just because these um, really unprecedented economic sanctions uh, will bite uh, are having an effect major effect on the Russian economy and likely also on powerful people within Russia who have not necessarily felt that kind of pressure before, but also because the vigor of the Ukrainian defense has inflicted real costs in terms of Uh, Battlefield deaths on the Russians themselves. The longer this goes on, the harder it will be for Putin to shield from his own people the extent of the combat that's taking place in Ukraine.
1: Dr. Roland Paris, Professor of International Affairs at the University of Ottawa, Dr. Lucan Wei from the University of Toronto, and Dr. Charles Kupchan, Senior Fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The vast majority of Canadians are solidly behind Ukraine. A Maru public opinion poll released on Wednesday reveals 91% of Canadians stand in solidarity with Ukraine and in full opposition against Russian dictator Vladimir Putin. Will that support begin to wane as Canadians start to feel the economic fallout from cutting Russia off from the world? Not only are gas prices spiking almost on a daily basis, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is warning about the effect on food and agricultural products, given that Ukraine is the ninth largest producer of wheat in the world and the fifth largest producer of corn. Libby spoke about all of this with Dr. Charlebois, along with John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion.
6: The one thing that, of course, we all concerned about is nuclear war. Um, two-thirds of the people in this country do not believe that Vladimir Putin was bluffing. They think it's quite possible. They think two-thirds think we're staring down the barrel at World War Three. So it doesn't get any more start than that. In a conventional war, 60-odd percent of the people in this country would be sending troops. That they tilt in that direction. But once we get to the more severe trigger point, then it becomes, it becomes a humanitarian perspective. I can tell you from the research I've just finished that there is a, uh, I won't call it overwhelming, but almost, uh, in Canada and the United States to accept immediately 200,000 refugees from the Ukraine. So there's a, there is a humanitarian approach to this, um, but there's also a deep concern that there's a tripwire somewhere in this equation that may make it very difficult to actually rescue a country. And, and I think that's playing very heavily on people's minds. Sylvain,
3: I think no one is surprised that this is having an impact on gas and diesel prices, but uh, I don't know that people realize that Ukraine is what you call the breadbasket of Europe.
7: Yeah, and again, people may think, well, it's Europe. It's far away from us. Well, not really, uh, because if... Uh, if access to commodities in Europe uh, is a challenge, uh, it will impact prices here. Uh, a bushel of wheat, uh, actually this morning, uh, uh, the uh, value of a bushel of wheat just surpassed 10 bucks U.S. for the first time in 14 years. Well, guess what happens with uh, with a bushel of wheat here in Canada? Same thing. And so everyone is impacted by what's happening and, uh, that region in particular is, is quite critical for, for a couple of reasons. One, grains. So, and, and mainly wheat, uh, barley and, and corn. Uh, 25% of exports in the world come from that region. And fertilizers. I mean, when, when prices are up, farmers will want to grow more. Uh, and we need to grow more in order to make sure that this world remains food secure. Uh, but fertilizers are becoming quite expensive. And, uh, and there are two regions of the world where fertilizers are, are, are produced, uh, at a, at a very high level. One is, is Belarus, Ukraine, Russia, and the other one is actually, uh, here in Canada. Uh, now you may think, well, we have plenty of fertilizers here in Canada, so who cares? Well, prices are going to be impacted as well. Potash is potash. And a ton of potash may actually surpass uh, its previous record of eight hundred dollars a ton, which will actually make it difficult for farmers.
3: Uh, John Wright, you point out that uh, a week ago, Justin Trudeau's numbers were uh, in the in the in the toilet at a record <laughs> low because of the truckers, and suddenly, two thirds support the prime minister in how he is responding to this
6: event. It's interesting to see that Mr. Trudeau, in fact. Was sitting at about seventeen percent support for when he was dealing with the truckers, but that's now up two thirds. Um, President Biden is roughly in the same range, fifty-eight to sixty percent. And again, look at what you need to get an election. You only need I mean, a, a, a majority. You only need thirty-seven percent here in this country. You need fifty-one there. So both the leaders are doing well. Mister Johnson is actually below water, only about forty. Three percent, in fact, support him fully for how he's performing. So he's got, you know, a very difficult road ahead. But certainly, this is, you know, it's a lifeline it's, uh, for Mr. Trudeau. It's a, a, a very different page that he's standing on than he was uh, two weeks ago.
1: John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion, and Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, Senior Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University in Halifax. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, what about travel while Putin's war is going on in Ukraine? We discuss with our experts
0: next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. We know the Russian war against Ukraine is hitting Canada's economy with higher fuel and food prices. It's also impacting the travel industry that is only just now recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. Respecting that travel is a luxury item and what's happening to the people of Ukraine is horrific, Libby was joined on Thursday by two experts to discuss what Canadian travelers should be thinking about during this uncertain time. Martin Firestone is president of Travel Secure, Inc. And Marina Sol is owner of Marina Sol Travel.
8: We actually are booking more than usual, but this was due to the lift of the, the restrictions of the COVID to travel. We do sell a lot of Europe, but mostly south of Europe, which is Portugal. And uh, the, the new situation with the world, Uh, is starting affecting a little bit. Some of the clients are questioning whether or not the war is going to affect the rest of Europe. But so far, it has been okay.
3: Martin, how does this affect travel
9: insurance? Well, it's going to be really a big change. The funny thing is, not so funny, but two years prior when there was no such thing called COVID, there was a clause in all the, in all the contracts that basically caught, talked about a travel advisory. And a travel advisory was just this war, political unrest, or an unstable scenario with a government, etc. Really, when COVID came in and then the word travel advisory came out again, that became a, the new travel advisory world. So we're back now to something that's been around for years but usually just affected a single country. Now people have to be careful. If there is a travel advisory for Russia, Ukraine, or surrounding countries, that will affect your ability to get cancellation insurance and health insurance.
3: Uh, So specifically, uh, it will nullify cancellation and health insurance?
9: Absolutely. So the advice has got to be to call firstly check the government website and check the advisories let's see if there is a do not fly avoid all travel avoid non-essential travel to any of those areas specifically the two countries in question and but the bigger question is the surrounding areas will it ever spread to that and if it does you can't travel you're not going to have travel insurance for medical or cancellation
3: Marina, have you given thought to, uh, let's say, a European perimeter? I mean, are people thinking, well, it's okay to go to Portugal, but not to any further? I mean, what countries,
8: travel to what countries do you think will be affected? I, 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 I think, and I believe, it will be only the surrounding countries, because hopefully this war is not going to last too long, but uh, for now i think it's too early to say anything i only had today one call of a client that uh, asked me what happened if the spread for the rest of europe but uh, i think at the same time this came right after too many years of uh, lockdown where people are too anxious to travel and to get away so i think most of the people we do worry about the war. We will think about that. But uh then on a, a, a daily basis, people won't change their plans because of the war. They believe that, you know, it's not going to affect us. It's going to be right there where it is. And uh, only the prices of things are going to start uh, rising very rapidly, actually, because we already started the gas, right? And the planes also run with gas, and therefore the prices are going to eventually go up but rather than that uh, like i said i believe it's too early uh, for people to change their mind martin what's your take
9: I, I was like doom and gloom two years ago because of overcapacity hospitals and even though i'm in the business i advise people not to travel i finally get that out of the way and now i'm faced with the new dilemma of making suggestions internationally i have some real concerns for the next little while until we get some clarity. So, bottom line, I think you've got to check and see where the travel advisories are. You've got to check what your trip cancellation will cover or won't cover, or other things. you got to be very knowledgeable before you start putting out large sums of money.
1: Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure, Inc., and Marina Soul, owner of Marina Soul Travel. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Also on Thursday, Fight Back welcomed renowned Ukrainian-Canadian photographer Ed Bertinsky, who's been offering his art in solidarity with Ukrainians. Ed Bertinsky's parents came to Canada after being displaced by the Nazis during World War II and taken to work camps. His 98-year-old mother worked in Canada for Ukrainian liberation for years. Now, during Putin's war against Ukraine, Ed is giving a special print of a famous work to the first 30 people who show him a $10,000 receipt for a donation to the Red Cross's humanitarian relief for Ukraine.
10: We put out, the, actually, uh, my wife and I, Julia, had the idea on Saturday afternoon Driving around Collingwood, we have a property up, 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 up a place that we stay up north, and uh, and then on, we drafted uh, together uh, uh, Instagram post and a Twitter post to say we're going to offer two prints, uh, fifteen, an uh, addition of fifteen of each, and to the first thirty people who donate ten thousand to the Red Cross, and then the Canadian government was matching those funds, so that turned to twenty. And we expected to work at it for the whole week and using my dealers and, and my client lists and all that, of people who have purchased my work in the past. But we posted it on Sunday night at 8 o'clock and on Monday morning at 10, we had to post, uh, uh, you know, please stop putting money into the Red Cross. We don't have any more prints left. So it was um, kind of uh, really surprising and really exciting to see, the kind of outpouring and, and how I think people are so um, taken aback by, by what's happening in Ukraine and uh, and to see this level of funding because uh, by the time it was all done and, and then we ended up having people just say, hey, um, I know there's no more prints left, but I'll put in 10000 so we actually could could count on about six hundred, six hundred fifty, seven hundred thousand dollars $700,000 that came in to the Red Cross in, in, in less than a day and And then other corporations started to jump in as well. So, you know, we saw the TELUS jump in and RBC jump in. So so it is really, really uh, encouraging to have that kind of response to such discouraging news of, of what's happening in Ukraine.
3: Tell me what this means to you. I'm sure you grew up with the stories from your parents. First of all, have you talked to your mother about this?
10: Oh yeah, I have, I have. Actually, it was hilarious because she thought I was giving, it was like, I was writing a check and she says, I told you, Eddie, to only give $500. How can you give them $600,000? And I said, no, no, mom, I didn't give them that much money. It's okay. Um, but she was, she was afraid that I gave all my money away. Uh, and I assured her that it was just, uh, it it was a whole, you know, complex, um, set of, set of things that we did. And, And she was really pleased to, to hear that. Although she still, Uh, kind of wishes that she didn't have to see this. I mean, she's in her, you know, final years of life and, and to see this has been very painful for her. You know, I was born and raised, my first language was Ukrainian. I still speak the language with my mother. Um, and, uh, it's always been, you know, part of my identity. And not like when I came here, I had no aunts and no uncles, no grandparents, no cousins, nothing. So in a way, I, I, you know, I had Ukrainian heritage, but I never had. Uh, any kind of relationship with with family, so it was just you know my parents and my brother and my sister, and the other Ukrainians who also were displaced during the Second World War who settled in Saint Catherine. So, so that that was an interesting thing, and, and and in a lot of ways I felt that because I didn't have that path, I got to invent myself, and I wasn't compared to you know you look you know you, you look like Uncle Fred or that's a behavior that you know, uh, you know, Jerry has or whatever in your family, it's, I I was, you know, uh, like, uh, there were no comparisons. I just had to kind of figure my own way out. And uh, I understand completely the fight that Ukrainians are because um, who wants to live under a a regime where most of the money is being siphoned off into a few hands and, and, um, you know, and free speech is suppressed and Um, You know, it's just why, who would, who could blame Ukraine for wanting to uh, tack towards uh, a European way of life versus tacking towards a Russian way of life in a way, because, uh, you know, (laughs) it's not not aspirational in a way, and and I can understand the fight to want to keep their freedom and their way of life.
1: Ukrainian-Canadian photographer Ed Bertinsky. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back knockout call of the week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Zneimer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Marion in Martintown called about resuming travel, but with the war against Ukraine in mind. My husband and I booked a trip to Cyprus in October
9: 2019, which of course has been put off and put off. And so we a couple of weeks ago with our travel agent, we got everything finalized, ready to go to Cyprus for two weeks, and then heading to the UK, leaving here on the 20th
1: of April. So we're a little concerned. We're certainly paying close attention to what is going on. And, you know, we're just worried about traveling during that time if anything comes out. But at this point, we're very eager to get going because, like you were saying, we're anxious to get going after the lockdown. Margaret in Thornhill phoned about her concerns with Vladimir Putin's ambitions. I have been watching uh, the crisis in Ukraine, and it should never happen. But Putin is a very stubborn man, and uh, he doesn't only want to take one part of Ukraine, but all the other parts— but then eventually he'll want to take Poland and Yugoslovakia and Czechoslovakia. Who knows? But we have to stop all this very soon. Tony in Etobicoke also called about the Russian dictator.
10: There's no way that Putin himself is going to stop the war and have himself embarrassed in what he's done. He's going to continue and continue. And I believe He wants Ukraine so the North Koreans can come in and use some of that land.
1: David in Toronto phoned to talk about the higher gas prices we're experiencing.
6: Poor Canadian energy policy causes very high prices in
5: our economy, not just for fuel, all energy and food. And it's a shame that we have such poor policy, and it's dividing the country, and it's a sad situation.
0: Thank you. And now... Fight Backs Knockout Call of the Week There were a lot of great calls this
1: week but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Sita from Mississauga who phoned about the war against Ukraine and her admiration of Ukraine's president Volodymyr Zelensky
8: This war is so sad
9: since we're all going through such a stressful time Ukraine president is an example of what all other leaders should be. <laughs> he is so brave and he put his life last to defend his people. It's amazing that this country is still standing up alone to Russia and so far is winning. I'm happy with the West, the West and the rest of the world doing all they can to support Ukraine.
1: That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at FightBackLibby, Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416 367. Nine six three six. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Neimer.